John, you have some major news for us. Well, Greg, Halloween around this time is known for horrors, and we've been experiencing the horrors of aging. We, okay. just, turned, we just turned 30, yeah. and as a, as a sign of the times, our parents have kicked us off their cell phone plan. <laughs> you didn't have to reveal that. No, Greg, it's important. It's important that people know the injustices we face every day, okay? Yes. Lest they think we're as, too as, privileged as assholes. Males, as white males, yeah, over 30. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe this? Listen, our, this isn't our fault. We just take advantage of every societal advantage that it hands us. <laughs> exactly. We don't mean to. We just We just do it. We were on our parents' health insurance until 26. What's wrong mm-hmm. with that? That's just the government, all right? Yeah. That's just the law, okay? <laughs> anyway, so we're off this plan. Yep, and I had to get a new phone, and my friends convinced me to switch over to an iPhone. Wait, friends plural? Yeah. No, two okay. of them. Yeah, they descended on me, like the characters from Freaks. They were like, goobble gobble, goobble gobble, <laughs> we will make you one of us. And so they convinced me to get an iPhone, and I'm... Well, I I went with the 8, which is like the most boring iPhone you could ever imagine. So Brilliant. Tell us more about your phone. It's a Tell us button. more about your extravagant It's purchases. got one button, and it has so many apps. And it has this thing called Siri. Stop me if I'm, if I'm telling you stuff uh-huh, you've never heard uh-huh, of. Uh-huh. What's, uh, what, what storage space do you have on there? 64 gig. <laughs> Great. You know I went over the top, bro. Tell us more. <laughs> I'm sorry. And by that, I'm speaking ironically. I don't want to hear more. I'm I'm confused. All right, you're the one who started this, and now you're like, oh, boring. Well, just to get it out of the way, just to get it out of the way, and also enable me to make fun of you. Oh, yeah, classic Greg, classic yep. Greg. Bait and switch me. <laughs> Absolutely. Or gaslamp me, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, where Greg's a bitch. <laughs> John is obviously in a tremendous mood this morning. Well, not not after that. <laughs> not the way you treat me. <laughs> John, let's let's get on the same page here. Okay. Let's let's look at societal's society's ills, not through our uh, privilege, mm-hmm. but through uh, through the power of metaphor. Of course. And so, with that in mind, the movie we watched this week was the 1954 classic Godzilla. The Ridge. Yes. No no I've remakes, no sequels, nothing. Nope. This is just straight, uncut Gojira. Yes. Mm-hmm. And oh, it, what a more appropriate it, time as we venture closer and closer to nuclear war every day. It, yeah. Although it's appropriate to use cut, because there's a lot of weird cuts in this one. <laughs> <laughs> You're just getting right into it with the technicals? You're complaining yes. about the technical details? Well, I mean, when we think of... Classic Godzilla. I mean, what what else do you go to other than a man in a suit? <laughs> okay, a little bit of backstory. They originally wanted to make it claymation, like King Kong, the original movie monster. But unfortunately, there was some other director who was making some stupid three-hour epic on the other side of the island. <laughs> what was that you guy's mean, name? Director of all time. What was that asshole's name? Uh, his name is Kurosawa Akira, or Akira Kurosawa to you people. <laughs> so yes, Toho Studio, the biggest ju- uh, studio or production movie production company in Japan. Mm-hmm. They were uh, at the same time they were trying to film Godzilla. They were also filming a little movie called The Seven Samurai. Yes, 
which is probably and... the greatest Japanese film ever committed to film. <laughs> oh, John, why why qualify Japanese? <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. It's one of the greatest of all time. But yes, it production between that three hour epic, three and a half hour epic, excuse me, mm-hmm. and Godzilla, a special effects heavy movie, which the Japanese film industry was not known for, nearly bankrupted this uh, huge conglomerate Toho, and so. Uh, yeah, they did. They wouldn't. They couldn't go with the uh, stop motion animation, as you said. They had to resort to a man in a suit in mm-hmm. miniatures. And you know what? I think it just works out just fine. Because again, that's where the charm comes from. Yeah, you're right. Uh, well, they yeah. So we should also explain a little backstory. You and I grow up watching th- Godzilla's many sequels. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that includes hysterical dubbing, <laughs> <laughs> um, shooting in color in broad daylight. <laughs> yep. So we derived all the enjoyment out of the out of the the uh, hysterical production value <laughs> of Godzilla stomping on little cardboard tanks and and fighting a a giant marionette moth or something like that. I mean, there was some ironic joy to it, but I like to think that there was also kind of again, what makes Godzilla films work is the fact that it takes it so straight faced, and I think that's especially true of this movie. No, not not the sequels. They were tongue in cheek. This movie, though, you're right, is yeah. is definitely straightforward. It's got a it's got a serious message to impart. Mm-hmm. And that is that nuclear war is bad. Yes, a very complex Until, message. And I, yeah. Now, honestly, if I lead with the production value because I feel like that message requires a little bit of sophistication mm-hmm. and taste. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if a special effects extravaganza with a man in a suit um, was really kind of the direction to go with that. Um. And that's just on that's just on the basis of the the framework of that of that message. Uh, we we haven't even gotten into the story yet, and from that perspective, I'm not even sure it's successful. Mm, I mean, that's fair, but also, if you're trying to make a quote unquote message movie, you kind of understand the impetus to make it kind of reach as wide an audience as you can. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you could make a really heartbreaking, horrible film that actually does depict, you know, the events of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, but it's like, what's going to get asses in seats? It's going to be gigantic yeah. monsters and army men attacking gigantic beasts from beyond right. the sea and beyond the veils of time and space. <laughs> from the Jurassic period, only two million years ago? Please. <laughs> Not the most scientific. What were they, stupid 60-plus years ago? <laughs> Hey, now, the anyway, Japanese right. students were better at math than you were in high school, so... Yeah, oh, absolutely. And also <laughs> racist, so... <laughs> so you you thought this movie kind of was let down in the story department? Uh, that, too, because um, just, get, just getting into the story, we actually don't have a main character for the first um, 20 minutes or so. No, that's kind of showing. It's kind of showing the implications of of Godzilla's impending attack. Well, mm-hmm. actually, first physical attack. Uh, it first affects fishing boats and the fishing industry, and so we're kind of watching it kind of affect society the way that you know, the boats. Uh, a boat gets a. I think it's a. I think it's a navy vessel or no, it's a fishing boat, isn't it? Yeah, it's a fishing boat. Yeah, um, that gets uh, attacked or like mysteriously sinks. A rescue boat goes out there. It sinks as well, and so they, there were. We're, we've got kind of a ramping up of the uh, the damage that Godzilla is causing. Uh, however, I, I wish there was something emotionally to connect to because it's just kind of a series of like men in rooms just talking. Yeah, but although I think... we do have we do have uh, their families are obviously you know they convey uh, a huge you know emotional need to figure out what's going on here. But 
it's just not enough without without a clear protagonist or clear like characters to kind of follow through this. I guess it's cool that we're watching its its effect on society, but I, I wish there was something more I was emotionally tethered to. I guess, but I mean, uh, at its heart, it's a um, natural disaster movie, and that's kind of the M.O. of a natural disaster movie. You start off with this menagerie, and then you know the people start to get narrowed down, and then focus kind of uh, narrows in. And that's kind of what you get with this film. You know, you start off, you know, watching these boats get destroyed with these characters you're not really invested in, and then it kind of, again, slowly collapses into this little family drama and these kind of interpersonal conflicts as this monster kind of gets closer and closer to Tokyo. Yeah, that was the other kind of disappointment, too, because I think last week we goofed that the 1998 version of Godzilla is like a like dropping an episode of Friends in the middle of a monster movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a bit like uh, an episode of Days of Our Lives with a monster in it. <laughs> yes, because the uh, main crux of the story or the human drama is a woman is betrothed to one man, but her heart yearns for another. Yes. <laughs> well, not betrothed. I think they're already married. However, he um, he's, he's pretty grievously injured in the war, and um, oh, he's yeah. not the same man that he's returned from fighting. No, he wears an eye patch, so you can yeah. see his he's scarred. Yes. He's seen some shit, man. Mm-hmm. And you just get a close up of his face you know he's he's not maybe he's again he's not the man he was before the war that's that's for sure Mm -hmm. well it's funny because i think that's where the movie comes alive is most in these little intimate moments between the characters in these kind of small confined rooms because you know you get like interesting dutch angles and you get these kind of close-ups and you get this very dramatic lighting which they couldn't really achieve when they're doing the large-scale godzilla stomps on models (laughs) yeah well no, I think they did achieve that. I think the that is for to kind of disguise the limitations of the special effects. Mm. I actually think it, it, like this is where it takes a severe downturn in interest is when <laughs> we're locked in this room with these not exactly imaginative people. Like you said, this is a disaster movie, so these people are kind of broad character archetypes. They're not specific people. Yeah, I guess that's true. And uh, also just the, the quality of the production, <laughs> we said at the start... <laughs> This they filmed this a long time uh, at the same time as Seven Samurai. Now Seven Samurai is an A plus production. <laughs> there are no technical flaws in that movie. This movie, how on the other hand? Oh well. Oh please, do list them out. I'm sure you have a bulleted <laughs> list. I do have a bulleted list. You know me. Too, you know me only too well, John. <laughs> but the things like uh like little things like different soundtracks in the room. Like when they cut, like you hear a different sort of soundtrack. Like it's not quite mixed properly. Um, there are jump cuts, like, uh, I'm thinking there's a, it's kind of a courtroom setting. Yeah. And, um, like, what, like, uh, th- this committee is trying to plan what to do next with Godzilla's impending attack, and there's, mm-hmm. and there's some jump cuts in that scene, yep. and so, I, you know, if you approach, if an audience in 2017 approaches this movie, there's, they might laugh at the, at the production, at the production value of a, of a guy in a suit stomping on cardboard buildings, However, I was more taken out by these little production issues, like jump cuts, uh, sound mixing, and uh, the stock footage scene, <laughs> where they just filmed um, what, in the story, it's supposed to be they're dropping je- depth charges to, uh, I don't know, somehow lure Godzilla out. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's pretty clear all they did was film a Navy exercise. <laughs> On film, that looks like somebody treated like a lottery ticket. It's got so many scratches. I, I wish we watched the Criterion version of this. Mm-hmm. And I wish I wish they could have even done a better job with restoration, but yeah, it's it's not quite it's not quite there. All right, fair enough. I mean, yeah. 
I was still kind of taken in. And I mean, you're right. The courtroom scene, I know exactly which one you're referring to. Again, like, I, like that didn't take me out of it because again, we're going back to the roots of the natural disaster flick. And a big part of all those movies is the bureaucracy. Yeah. You know, you have the people at top who are clearly not as concerned with what's actually going on. They're really more concerned about getting reelected and diplomatic relations and just all that boring stuff. Yeah. <laughs> They're not invested like the real people are, like our heroes are. And we haven't even gotten to our, I guess, I mean, is he? The, he's probably the closest thing this movie has to a main character, which is Takashi Shimura. Oh, yeah. The legend, John. The legendary actor, Takashi Shimura. Just giving so yes. much face in this movie. Well, specifically one face, but he's doing it really, really well. He does great face so well. He plays a professor, and yes. he's, he's, he's caught between worlds because he wants to study Godzilla, he wants to preserve it. He understands he's just an animal acting on instinct, but then he sees the carnage and destruction that Godzilla is capable of, and he can't help but feel like maybe the military is right to try to eliminate him. I, I don't know. I d- you don't see that, do you? You don't see that kind of turn. He's always th- kind of reluctant to... Well, no, I think you, he, you just read it in his face. I mean, again, I he doesn't, so. like, true, flat yeah. out say that. But again, yeah. like, I'm, again, this is what we usually do. I'm reading the subtext. You're like, well, they didn't come out and say it, so how can we be sure? <laughs> <laughs> no, they could have come out and say it better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think you're, what you usually do is apply meaning that I, that I disagree is even there. <laughs> oh, well, Greg, there's meaning in everything. Okay. Sure. Sure. You just have to find it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you're right, Takeshi Shimura is the most uh, conflicted character, because obviously he does want to preserve this creature. Mm-hmm. Not just kill it, he doesn't want to you know, play into those warlike instincts. Exactly. But yeah, it's clear that it just it just wrecks shop, and so he's <laughs> his performance, like like everything that Takeshi Shimura is in, is probably the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. In addition to, I will say, uh, let me get to the positives, <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm down on this movie, mm-hmm. but that 40-minute sequence, when it does attack Tokyo... Is probably the best, a best sequence in the in the whole movie. Oh yeah, it works so well because again, this movie treats it so seriously. You get oh, this yeah. quick cutaway of this family, like basically huddled together in a burning building, and the mother says, "We're gonna see Daddy soon," and then you just see the building collapse. It's like you know, it, again, it's a goofy man in a suit, but uh, like the movie treats it very seriously. It's very. <laughs> Yeah, I wish I wish I could handle that the, that heavy subject matter a little more tactfully. Because <laughs> again, I again you're doing it with a with a, a you're doing a silly special effects spectacle. Mm-hmm. Like, I, but you do have to kind of draw on the serious seriousness of it to convey your serious message. Mm. However, so there's there's that scene in particular, and then there, in the aftermath, there's a there's a crying child huddled by uh, what's presumably her mother on a on a stretcher. Hmm. And uh, yeah, those... I mean, I, I I see your point why the two things can kind of be like oil and water, but I mean, for me, I just think contrasts sometimes bring out the best of both worlds. Uh, okay. I... <laughs> maybe not so much in this case, but in other cases, maybe. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I've I've seen I've seen worse examples <laughs> <laughs> of the material not necessarily fitting the tone, but mm-hmm. yeah, just here, like, uh, again, I feel like the the mise en scène. Let's describe it as, <laughs> let's call it, uh, kind of betrays the uh, 
the obviously gravity of of what the message is. I I mean, uh, I think there are a lot of good subtle hints to it, like the overall design of Godzilla. Obviously, is meant to be. There's a lot of kind of like little tidbits you can read about in trivia's and stuff like that. Is mm-hmm. the way they design the creature. It has a lot of callbacks to its atomic origins. Its head is supposed to be reminiscent of a mushroom cloud, and then the skin itself is meant to look like radiation burns. Mm. So there is a lot of kind of thought and care put into it, but at the end of the day, it's still just a guy in a suit who, you know, is working as hard as he can to make it look like a realistic creature, but, you know, they have to, like, film it at uh, low angles and then, like, low frame rate so it looks like it's more lumbering and Mm -hmm. the illusion doesn't work. But, I mean, I did like the uh, scene where he first attacks Tokyo and they put up these gigantic, like, this gigantic electrical fence to try to keep him out. And this is when Godzilla reveals, "Uh, I got fire breath, guys. And so he (laughs) burns down all these wires and apparently what they did was they used a heat gun on these, like, miniature wax wires, but it all just kind of collapses. Yeah, that effect works. I mean, not to say that, yeah, it's Again, it's a, a totally, a totally ineffective, you know, or excuse me, a totally ineffective special effects spectacle. Mm-hmm. I mean, those things do work. Like uh, again, the fire breath or the miniature tanks look a little bit better than they do in those later <laughs> movies that are shot in color in in the daylight. And again, they just look like toys. Here, you're right. Um, just that I think that's the most famous image is him walking through those power lines and them trying to basically electrocute him with a power surge but yeah again that's an effective sequence i actually also like the reveal of him over the over this hill if they put all their money into a production if they all uh special effects money it was into that effect mm-hmm. where it's kind of a mat where he's kind of cresting over the hill yeah exactly and, was, it's... and it's it's a it's a good surprise <laughs> like a lot of extras and stuff like that and i do like the kind of progression that the movie takes place where you know first he's attacking these ships and then he's attacking these rural outlying islands and then eventually he attacks tokyo like really kind of getting to the heart and the kind of city because again while he's attacking rural people like who cares you know they're bumpkins who gives a shit yeah i yeah i was wondering about that because that, that feels like a secondary message about mm-hmm. culturally the way that japan has changed that, yeah, there that you could read into that a little bit. Yeah, because I I don't know if you knew this, John. I took a I took a semester course, a semester long <laughs> course on Japanese culture, so I'm uh, an expert. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> please enlighten us. <laughs> yeah, but they are consumed with their cultural identity mm-hmm. and the way the traditional way of doing things versus their kind of capitalist, technology focused you know society mm-hmm. that's that's cloistered in these major cities today. Yeah, so maybe maybe. Not only is the monster just a a a, deter, a, a model of of nuclear proliferation, mm-hmm. but also about the way the society is changing. It's like this, like the old ways are being attacked, or something like that. Yeah, or at least uh, the bureaucracy doesn't really care about the old ways being attacked or preserved. All yeah. they really care about is when their home turf is attacked. Because again, like the movie really doesn't pick up steam until Tokyo is attacked. Because mostly, again, the bureaucrats and the politicians are trying to save face. We get a bunch of those scenes where they're like, "Well, we can't just you know drop depth charges. What are the Chinese gonna think?" You know, they're like trying to play all angles, and it's like people are dying, guys. Come on. Yeah, I forgot they referenced the Chinese. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad they didn't call them dogs or something like that. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> off camera, off camera. Yeah. <laughs> well, we get into the warts of all Japanese, <laughs> warts and all of Japanese culture. <laughs> no, but following that sequence, though, well, actually, while we're mentioning, um, yeah, Godzilla first attacks this uh, this fishing village, this island, mm-hmm. and that that was actually something I was really disappointed in, mm-hmm. because they rescue somebody off the beach from a boat that's been attacked. And an old man's like, oh, it's probably Godzilla. <laughs> I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, uh, what happened to the mystery? What? It felt like all the conflict was kind of undercut by that moment. Like, oh, we know what it is. It's a, it's a two, two million year old dinosaur, pretty much. <laughs> I guess that's true, yeah. yeah. I, but, again, I'm more, I'm more consumed by, the, like, how the heck do we deal with this thing? <laughs> And obviously, in, in, as as is often the course of the disaster movies, it gets you know disappointing as they do fight fight back against whatever natural force they're up against. Well, no, it's like what happens is you know the way the story progresses is what ends up getting revealed is that they have a weapon that's even more powerful than an atomic bomb. But the scientist oh, yeah, gonna, who invents yeah, gonna... it is reticent to use it because again, like this creature was created because of the use of the atomic bomb. And again, what happens when we unleash an even more powerful weapon? Yeah, we should probably explain this is also, uh, conveniently enough for the movie, um, <laughs> Eye Patch, Eye Patch Doctor. Uh, excuse me, his name is, uh, I, I, I won't even bother to try to pronounce this, Eye Patch Guy. So Eye Patch Guy. Yeah, Shirazawa, I believe. <laughs> yeah, Shirazawa. Um, Shirazawa reveals, and I do kind of like the way it, the they kind of obscure what he's actually invented. He invites mm-hmm. someone into his lab and kind of demonstrates, but then... Well, not just ha- somebody, his current wife. His current wife. Who's cheating on him. <laughs> <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> yeah, this is when the Days of Our Lives storyline kind of takes over. So he brings him into the lab, and again, like, it's shown off screen, mm-hmm. like, what this thing is capable of. And then when she actually, she promises that she won't tell anybody, but eventually she kind of has to. She tells yeah. her lover... <sighs> these loose women um <laughs> and then we go back and it's actually we get the full picture of the scene so i like the way that was done and we see what this it's called the oxygen destroyer and it's yeah, some and kind of bomb that's capable of like separating the atoms there's a whole scientific explanation but who really cares um it basically is able to like eradicate all life within the water yeah and so the way that they convey this is he sticks a tiny bit of it into a fish tank um bubbles form and then the fish are replaced by skeletons <laughs> it basically has eaten all the way their flesh mm-hmm. by annihilating all the oxygen mm-hmm. and, and i mean so this is where this is where i also got a little the message was a little muddled to me because mm-hmm. this is their kind of final solution with godzilla mm-hmm. to essentially uh, implement this this world destroy this uh, potentially hugely hugely destructive weapon on godzilla Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait, does that mean you're in favor of, you know, using using technology that that leads to mutually assured destruction? Isn't that what you were against with, with Godzilla in the first place? Or, I mean, well, we do kind of, in the climax, we kind of see his kind of possible solution to it. Which I saw coming a million miles away. I don't know if you saw. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he was a misery guts throughout the whole movie. So exactly. So what? Doesn't have a whole lot to live for. So yes, he he deploys himself down to the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. He volunteers, and, and everyone's yes. like, "No, we need you up here. You're our head scientist." And obviously, he's like, "No, it's my machine. I should do it." Mm-hmm. And so when he actually goes down there, uh, the um, his wife's lover is also there they kind of are able to get him to safety, but he remains down there 
and he activates the oxygen destroyer, basically sacrificing himself in the process and taking the secret to this device to the grave. Yeah. So what are you saying? Like deploy the weapon, but get rid of like get rid of it immediately, or? Well, no. It's just like use it in this instance, but make sure that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands ever again. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. Again, it, it the message is a is a muddle to me at this point. I don't I don't think it's muddled. I just think it's a little rote. Because again, <laughs> like how many times have we kind of seen something? Like, maybe in the 1950s it was a little more surprising. But it's like, a scientist killed by their own creation. Like, come on, that's Mary Shelley kind of level we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, granted, you and I are jaded having watched I mean, we're just so smart. It's in our such lifetime. a burden. Yeah. It's such a burden being like this smart and this erudite. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. But the, the scene would have uh, worked a little bit more for me if I had some greater connections with the characters other than them kind of playing these broad archetypes like you know a conflicted a conflicted wife between this love triangle like that's that's all it is pretty much Mm -hmm. and we don't see any greater i guess in those moments we do see like the the family huddled and then gets crushed by that building we see the poor child has her mother her apparently deceased or gravely injured mother is led away Mm -hmm. like we kind of have those moments to demonstrate the gravity of this attack but there's just not enough in these characters to make to get me really invested. Especially, it's in the final thirty minutes that this all takes place. Mm-hmm. And by then, I was like, when, when are we gonna get back to the fireworks factory? Like, yeah, I guess that's back true. To? Yeah, like yeah. because the big attack on Tokyo happens about halfway through, the movie can't really ramp up from there. No, <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I or set up, yeah, or set up like a like a ticking clock thing. Like, oh no, he's coming back again. He's gonna lay waste to I don't know, you know, an even bigger city or something. <laughs> it, it, even though that's not possible, it attacked <laughs> Tokyo anyway. <laughs> yeah, but if there was if there was a little more urgency, like you know, just those little things that you can improve a, a story with, mm-hmm. or at least make a make a story a little more compelling. But and this movie doesn't have it. But in spite of that, it's still it's still kind of an achievement. Mm-hmm. In terms of what the the Japanese film industry could even do, because this was their first real kind of blockbuster that was heavy on special effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like he, the U.S. was churning these guys out every week, but you know, for like a Japanese studio to kind of do something of this scale is pretty impressive in and of itself. Yeah, and again, I do like the fact that it is a science fiction piece with a message. Granted, the message is a little muddled or basic. You know, yeah. nuclear war is bad, guys. Come on. Um, but hey, they didn't know this back in 1954. <laughs> they thought it, they thought it was just groovy. <laughs> they were still saber rattling with Russia, like, "Hey, eh, come yeah. on, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be cool?" <laughs> they were still experimenting. Um, yeah. But it, I do appreciate the fact that, again, like they did try to hide this message into a mass appeal feature. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And I, I I always kind of give them credence whenever they try attempt something like that instead of just going for more of the base like oh wouldn't it be cool if the monster like because again that's eventually like sadly I think that message would eventually get lost to kind of the more baser elements of the series which is like wouldn't it be cool if there was a three headed dragon wasn't it, yeah. wouldn't it be cool if there was like a robot version of Godzilla that he had to fight <laughs> yeah so the appeal is solely in monsters fighting instead of the the message that it's trying to convey mm-hmm. exactly i mean not that maybe they can convey a, a message against um or a message in favor of nuclear deterrence when it's fighting gamma or something like that or <laughs> mecha godzilla maybe they can do that who knows but 
Well, I mean, maybe if Mecha Godzilla was like the next level up from the Oxygen Destroyer, and then all the other nations now are proliferating their giant robots. You know, that's I thought I was really hoping that's what Pacific Rim would do, but you know, sadly it hasn't. So that movie no. really let me down. That movie no. is bad. And now, actually, having seen the original Godzilla, now you can see all the echoes in Pacific Rim, mm-hmm. Godzilla 2014. Wait a minute, you're telling me <laughs> that Pacific Rim had some inspiration from Godzilla? Just a little bit? I, I just just a tad, yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't see it, but I'll have to revisit it. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see what happens in Pacific Rim Uprising. Ah, yes. I think I took a lot of inspiration from Power Rangers. (laughs) The message is teamwork. (laughs) And they made the dream work. Good for them. That dream being um, silly swords and weapons and nunchucks (laughs) on our 150-foot-tall robots. (laughs) I'm sorry, but unless they do some kind of flashback with Idris Elba, I'm not interested. Well, of course they are. Well, they'd better. I think I, I think they do it in the trailer. I know. No, they had like a little clipping, like, "Oh, look at the hero your father was." Blah blah blah. Because apparently they have John Boyega be his son. Who? Mm-hmm. Thank goodness I didn't call him John Bodega because I always want to call him that. But I'm too. I have too much respect for that. <laughs> They're both great British lesbians. Mm-hmm. Now why why don't they play together like in a movie, like father or son together instead of <laughs> in this schlock? <laughs> too much money. Idris yeah, is too right. busy. He's going to be the next James Bond. Come on. Yeah. It's going nice. to happen, guys. It's going to happen. Yeah, I'll tell you what. They should have a female Bond. <laughs> Who are you thinking? Emma Thompson? I think she's in the front running. <laughs> That'd be brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Actually, yeah. She should She should play like the new M or something like that. Um, it's hard Ralph for me. Ralph Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes. You know, God it's hard for whatever. me to root against Ralph Fiennes. Come on. No, but he's, oh, we've seen old white pasty dude or whatever before i guess yeah maybe he played him like a little more dandy or something like gave him a little bit more of an edge i don't know yeah I, I never i never saw a specter so okay you're not missing anything <laughs> oh ouch yeah. speaking of film franchises that have gone on way too long and become way too goofy james bond <laughs> godzilla <laughs> james bond and godzilla when are they gonna cross over i <laughs> That's a great point. Actually, yeah. Let's 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 workshop this. <laughs> let's workshop this off mic. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, to sum up, in, in summation, Godzilla is a movie of many contrasts. <laughs> a mixed bag, shall we say? Yeah. I actually think people should seek it out. I, I guess again to see the original. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, as you said, what we grew up watching, and what has been remade twice in America. <laughs> It's as if it's it's as if it's we're kind of watching a photocopy or a shade of what the original is, and I think it's it's there's there's value in seeing the original, mm-hmm. and there is some power to it. So yeah, well, I mean, when you L- think about literally. it, literally, <laughs> I mean, literally, when you think about it, Godzilla is also kind of a photocopy of an American style of filmmaking. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Although chased with with that delicious uh, Japanese culture, uh, that Japanese je ne sais quoi. Yes, I, th- I believe that's a Japanese term, isn't it? Yes. <laughs>
we we had this discussion, Greg. I'm glad we're, I, we're I'm fine. glad we have these discussions every week. I hope mm. the audience is glad too. Exactly. You know what I'm really thankful for? What's that? Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Yes. Score. It gives us a chance to recommend things like little things. Mm-hmm. Like maybe maybe something that you know doesn't draw a lot of attention, like these, like these mega special effect filled blockbusters. Ooh, my spotlight is not that. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> All right, go ahead. Speaking of things, I would be remiss if I didn't use this opportunity to recommend a little Netflix show you've probably already seen called Stranger <laughs> Things. <laughs> well, the new season isn't out yet, so what what do you have to recommend? Well, I just, you know, give it a chance before the new season comes out. I mean, I know. personally... Yeah, you're speaking directly to me, because I've... Well, yes, you haven't seen it yet. So, again, yeah. this is a spotlight for everyone who hasn't seen it, which, come on, what are you doing? I, was, I don't know, working? Oh, really? You're just <laughs> so busy? Family. Oh, you're just so busy, Greg? I am, yeah. Oh, really? But, John, I wasn't I wasn't ready to indulge in 80s nostalgia. See, hmm. but that's the that's the key difference. Okay, are you going to steer me are you going to steer me another way? Are you going to help me alleviate these prejudices? Yes. Because because I look at this and all I see is like I see Super 8. I just see, you know, all these things are inspired but you have nothing new original to say. Hmm. But you're arguing that it does. Here's the contrast. Are yeah. you and this is walk with me here. <laughs> okay. Are you familiar with a YouTube channel by one game critic named Mark Brown? No. Uh he is a video game critic and he has a YouTube channel called Game Maker's mm-hmm. Toolkit. And he has a very invaluable video about Shovel Knight. Have you ever heard of this video game named Shovel Knight? Again, yes, walk I with have. me here. There's a yes, lot to, I, again, <laughs> there's a I'm lot st- to I'm still there. I'm still with you. <laughs> okay. Part of the reason why he, why he thinks Shovel Knight is such a success is the fact that it is not trying to ape one specific thing. Instead, what it does is it picks and chooses and kind of tries to encapsulate the feeling of video games of that era. So, you know, you had these, like, Kickstarters, like, saying, like, hey, we're remaking this game, or hey, we're doing a spiritual successor to this game. And then, inevitably, everyone ends up disappointed. Yeah, so Shovel Knight, we should explain, is an original video game. Mm -hmm. You play a heroic knight. Mm -hmm. However, it's an amalgam of all these, you know, artwork from Castlevania and, you know, platforming like Super Mario's. Like, it's an amalgam of all the uh, stories and artwork from a specific era. Mm-hmm. And the and that's what you are. It's that that sounds. It sounds like that's what you're arguing. Stranger Things is. Yeah. Like even though you see all these familiar touches, it's telling something. There's something inspired about it. Yeah. There's something a little more unique. It's not trying to ape just Amblin Entertainment style movies like Super Eight did. Yeah. It's tra- or Stephen it, King. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of doing both. It's kind of like take. It's it's drawing from a large swath of '80s pop culture. And it okay. never feels like it's kind of like winking to the audience or being like, uh, you're an 80s kid. You would understand this. I, it takes it very seriously. And I think okay. it's great at setting up mood. I think the story moves at a great pace. Um, I really heartily recommend the first season because I think it wrapped up so nicely that I'm really not looking forward to a second season. <laughs> <laughs> I think what, unfortunately, this had a great makings of an anthology show. Because, again, it was really more okay. about kind of the tone and the atmosphere. And, again, the story kind of wrapped up so nicely. You can tell that the Duffer brothers really kind of had a beginning and end point. That mm-hmm. now I'm not so sure that they really know where to take. But hopefully we'll see. Because, really, I've, I didn't care if we ever visited these characters again, okay. honestly. But John is a big, bad monster. Yeah, that's true. We have to get rid of the monster. It's Well, they did get rid of the monster. 
But there's more monsters. <laughs> but this one's bigger, yeah. <laughs> now there's more monsters. This one's bigger. <laughs> you see, they named it the Demogorgon because it's like from Dungeons and Dragons. They're playing oh, Dungeons boy. and Dragons. It's the 80s. <laughs> Doing lots of coke and vote for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> okay, I'll, gi- I'll give it a chance before the new season comes out. Yeah, just give it a shot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, I can't John, promise John, that you'll love it, me. but I think I think you will enjoy it. Okay, John, you've swayed me. Ugh, I'm, I'm just so good at that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could sway you here. Uh, let doubt it. Let's see. <laughs> so I this spotlight I have today, I originally saw on Netflix. It unfortunately went away from Netflix because they're <laughs> trying to cull all their cool uh, cool library of movies uh, of in favor of new original stuff like Stranger mm-hmm. Things. Mm-hmm. But now it's made a triumphant return on Filmstruck, <gasps> which is a great video platform if you haven't if you haven't check it out um a lot of classic stuff on there mm-hmm. and it's a movie called oslo august 31st okay have you heard of this no for a second no. there i thought you were going to recommend august osage county no oh <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to that later okay that's a remake right it's the american yeah. remake <laughs> yeah oh yeah of this uh, little norwegian drama <laughs> okay this little Norwegian drama is by a, a director named, I'm going to butcher his name, but his name is Joachim Trier. Yeah, and he does little humor, humanist dramas. Mm-hmm. This was based on a little French novel called Le Fou Flore, mm-hmm. um, and it's about a guy uh, named Anders. The actor's name is also named Anders, so okay. convenient. <laughs> makes me wonder if they just kind of slapped this movie together, <laughs> like <laughs> uh, dirty and cheap or whatever, because they need to release something, but who knows. But uh, basically recovering from a heroin addiction and kind of making amends with people in his life. Okay. And so it takes place on this day, August 31st, in the capital city of Oslo. Mm-hmm. And so he meets, uh, he meets, you know, his best friend, you know, former lover, and uh, just trying to make amends. All right. Before, uh, before uh, he makes a decision about his life. So, oh, not to, not to spoil anything. Yeah. <laughs> he decides to open up a restaurant. Yes, that's it. Okay. <laughs> I can kind of guess what he decides to do, but again, <laughs> jaded, savvy. That's me. Yeah, I, yeah, you're a savvy viewer. You know, for for audiences that aren't up on their Norwegian film, they may be surprised. <laughs> Look, it's not their fault. The sun only shines there about half the year, so yeah, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> they're pretty depressed people. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a sweet little movie. Again, I I in terms of like characterization, you really it it does a superb job of characterizing Anders mm-hmm. and kind of showing. And again, I also like the mise en scène. Like there's this could almost be um, one of those, uh, what do you call them, Dogma 95 movies? Mm. Like, literally, like, there's no, well, there are props and things like that, but it, it feels so true to life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's the power of how effective it feels. Okay. Um, not just in that characterization, but also in the production value and just how much um, effort, <laughs> I guess, effort into making it feel so down-to-earth and real. Ugh. That means, like, it's like a slice of life movies, and I hate those. <laughs> Well, John, it's it's playing with big ideas too about you know addiction and reconciliation, and so I th- I think you're gonna get absorbed in this tale. Okay, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. You've you've swayed I, me. You've swayed me. Yes. <laughs> now I I don't believe you. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's easier for me to come down uh come along the the Stranger Things train mm-hmm. than for you to jump on board uh, Oslo August thirty first. <sighs> Well, I wish you had told me about it when August 31st was coming up, because then I would have the perfect I excuse. I know, it would have been perfect. Well, it wasn't on Filmstruck then. Ugh, such a pity. I know. But anyway, check it out. All right. Hey, maybe some other uh, Yuckum Trier's work. Okay. He's got another movie coming out, but 
Yeah, it's a it's a conventional thriller, John. Oh dear. <laughs> According to the critics in Toronto, not up to his usual work. Oh dear. It's a Norwegian version of Taken. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Hang on. It's, it's, the... it's called Tuken, but it's got the little umlauts above, <laughs> above the A. <laughs> That's Swedish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, it's like a supernatural thriller. A woman begins to fall in love only to discover that she has fantastic powers. And it's called Thelma. It's called Felt? Thelma. Thelma. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a Thelma Schoonmaker biopic. Okay. <laughs> she has fantastic powers of editing. Ah. Mm-hmm. Three-time she Oscar winner. She has fantastic powers of recall. Yes. And she remembers. I've seen this all before. <laughs> Boring derivative. That's what this critic says. Mm-hmm. But Greg, how can people judge us? Uh, I well, <laughs> they listen to us for one thing. That's how. That is fair enough. But if they judge us and like actually like what they've heard, mm-hmm. they can visit it. They can find so much more about us on social media. This is true. They could visit our Facebook page, you know, throw us a like, mm-hmm. write a suggestion on our wall. Exactly. We've got a we've got a wall. I don't know if you've heard of this feature that Facebook has called the wall. <laughs> it's like the Netflix queue, but you write on it. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty complicated, but yeah. Or the Amazon recommendations thing, like it'll it'll recommend things. So on the wall, please give us a recommendation. Yes. Tell us what we should watch next, and then you could follow us on Twitter for updates. Oh, We're yeah. at Aspiring Snobs. So please. Give us a follow. But John, if you're not a social media savvy person, no, you just want to, You're just you're you're a, you're a classic person. You're a classic listener. You just want to hear us. You know, just give our opinions on on old classic movies. Mm-hmm. How how would they listen to us? Well, they could find us on Apple Podcasts, okay. maybe Stitcher, oh, maybe even SoundCloud. Oh, yes. just so many options. So many options oh, available. So many options. to you. John, we live in an amazing time. <laughs> Have all these options. It's really not fair. No. And it's even not fair that our parents kick us off their freaking plan. <laughs> I, I blame no, Verizon. Great. Come Verizon on. breaks I mean, John, up I, I wish you wouldn't confess that. Again, I, I don't like to show off my privilege. <laughs> oh, I do. Every day. Okay. People need to know. <laughs> People need to know. John, what are we watching next week? Speaking of privilege, I think it's I think it's just a, a tremendous privilege that we even get to watch these movies. This is very true. Next week, we'll be catching up with the horror classic, Night of the Living Dead. I don't know if you guys noticed, it's Halloween, so we're doing a lot of horror movies. <laughs> yeah. Although, does Godzilla qualify? Yeah, of course. It's a monster okay. movie. Eh, I know, but those aren't really horrific, are they? Uh, sometimes they can be. Yeah. I mean, you think of like movies like Night of the Lepus. I think it's Lepens. And, and no, I, I think, think it's, it's French. I think it's Lepus. Lepus? I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Lepus. Okay. Come on, they're Wait, hicks. Is that it's, the flower it's... one or the, or, the, or the rabbit one? The rabbit one. Okay. <laughs> These are some deep cuts for you people. <laughs> yes. Dave the Triffids is the is Yes, the that's the rabbit flower. one. And then the following week, we'll do the Day of the Dolphin. <laughs> where little did George C. Scott know that somebody had trained a dolphin to assassinate the president. <laughs> but when are we going to do Orca? The classic Jaws ripoff by Dilo De Lorenzo. I I prefer the Deep. Okay. If we're gonna if we're gonna delve into Jaws ripoffs, I think the Deep is the way to go. Got it. You got the the lady <laughs> swimming underwater in a shirt, and just a shirt. <laughs> Boobies. 
Yeah, the hallmark of great cinema. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's what really brought Godzilla down. No boobies. <laughs> Amiko didn't show us the didn't show us the twin. <laughs> this movie Come doesn't on. even pass the Bechtel test. <laughs> That's what the Bechtel test is. <laughs> I know that's that should be our yeah that should be our new qualifier. You know we could talk about a movie about like Psycho, <laughs> one of the greatest films of all time, but it doesn't pass the Bechtel test. So overall, but you get F. to see some titties. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there's so many ways you can judge movies. That's what makes it a great art form. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that's what makes us great and so qualified for this job. I like how you call it a job, like we're getting paid for it. It's very generous of you. Exactly. Love what you do. You never work a day in your life. Excellent point. And I love doing this podcast. And I hope I people love listening. Well, at least we get something out of it. We have fun. Yes. Yes. Happy <laughs> Valentine's Day, even though it's Halloween. <laughs> so, until next week, keep aspiring. <laughs>